Leave your Bibles open uh, and take out your outline. There's some space to write notes there. Sorry, there's no kind of helpful uh, breakups of our passage, but I hope it's helpful as we go through and look at this amazing part of God's Word. Now, why don't we pray and ask God to help us understand what's going on? Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us, that we can hear your word. And as we start this new series in the book of John, that we can know you even deeper and even more clearly. And we pray that by your spirit and through your word this morning, you might amaze us. You might capture our hearts and focus our eyes on the God who is Jesus the Son. Pray this in his name. Amen. Uh, one of the things that amazes me most about our world is light. Light is just amazing. I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about it, uh, but, but everything we see, uh, we can only see because light exists. Uh, without light, we can't see anything. Uh, let's do an experiment. You ready? Hold on to your phones and wallets just in case. But I want everyone in the room to shut your eyes. Ready? One, two, three, go. Right, what can you see? <laughs> Nothing. If you can see something, your eyes are open. Right? Okay, you can open your eyes. No one did any pranks. No one ran away with your stuff. But imagine a world that was just black, that, that had no light. Imagine living in the darkness your whole life. That's a reality for some. Light is amazing. I spent the first year of my um, first design degree that I did uh, in a dark room studying light. And photography was part of that, that course. And we were given black and white film before digital cameras were a common thing. And uh, we shot black and white stuff and had to go back and develop the film ourselves and go into the dark room with an enlarger and kind of do it on this paper. It was, what I loved was looking at the way light falls on all sorts of things. The way the light falls amongst trees, the way it falls on people's faces. It's just such an amazing thing, light. Part of the reason I studied photography was because for all the other art forms, you've actually got to have talent. Right? With photography, you just take photos of God's talent. You're like, look at that. How amazing is that, right? The people who might agree that we're doing illustration, they could draw things. And we had a go at it, but I couldn't. I'm not that good at it. When it came to photography, it was just capturing the light that God puts on his creation. Now, whether that light be the light of stars or the light reflecting on natural landscapes, light is amazing. And without light, life just doesn't have its full brightness, does it? Imagine a life without light. It's dark. Light is, is one of the fundamental constants of the universe. Do you know it goes 299,000, sorry, million, uh, 792,458 meters per second in a vacuum? It is always that speed. Light doesn't get up one day and be like, I'm having a slow day today. And knock it back a couple of hundred thousand kilometers, um, meters per second. It is just constant. Light always travels at that speed. It defines the absolute speed limit of the transfer of energy, of matter, of information. That's one of the fundamental constants of our universe. Light, it still baffles scientists. It displays characteristics of both waves and particles. Uh, two mutually exclusive concepts like analog and digital, yet light displays both. It's called wave-particle duality. And physicists are amazed by it. Let me quote you Albert Einstein. It's on the screen. As he contemplates how light works, he says, We are faced with a new kind of difficulty. We have two contradictory pictures of reality. Separately, neither of them fully explains the phenomena of light, but together they do. 
it's hard to understand light. Today we start a new series in the Gospel of John, where we're about to see a profound claim about the origin and the nature of light. John's claim is that light is no accident. It is no freak chance thing that happens in creation, but light comes through a person. By him, this person, we see life itself. Because of this person, life is possible. He is called the true light who gives life to everyone. And his name is Jesus. Now this book, uh, the book of the Gospel of John, actually provided for me a, a defining moment. I know we're not in that series anymore. We just finished that. But it's a nice bridge on the way through. Uh, it provided for me a defining moment in my relationship with Jesus. Uh, I'd been a Christian. I trusted Jesus. I was doing an apprenticeship like the people we uh, interviewed up here today. And, and I was meeting up with some Mormons who wanted to read the Bible with me. I'm like, great, let's read the Bible together. And they were kind of challenging me on whether the Jesus of the Bible was really the Jesus of history. Did these things actually go on? Can I be sure of them? And so one day I sat down and I thought, right, what I'm going to do, I started to shake my faith a little bit. And can I, I looked up some YouTube channels and there's some crazy people saying all sorts of stuff. By the way, anyone can do anything on YouTube. And so don't believe everything you see on YouTube or everything you hear up here. Test it. But, um, and so I was kind of a bit uncertain. So I thought, what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit down. I'm going to read one account of the life of Jesus. And so I remember sitting down. Uh, in our garage, we, we used to have our small group in our garage. It was like connected to our house uh, while we were doing our apprenticeship. I had this little lounge out there. I remember sitting on the lounge and picking up my Bible. I remember this is the Bible I picked up. This was my Bible at that point. When you can, there's a little tip. It looks like it was really well used. If you buy these fake leather ones, it comes off after about a year or so. And so it looks like you've read heaps. But anyway, uh, so I opened up this Bible and I opened up to John chapter 1. And I remember reading... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And over the next two hours, as I read through the book of John cover to cover, I got captured, captivated by this Jesus that I met through this guy called John. I was amazed at who he was and what he had done. It was like, I didn't just like, didn't just like him, I loved him. This guy was amazing. I still remember sitting there and feeling like God reached out from the pages of the Bible, lifted me up and kind of said, pushed my head towards Jesus and gone, do you see him? And it was like so clear for me. This Jesus is God. He is the one who has become flesh and he has died to save us. I love the book of John because John showed me in technicolor detail why I love Jesus. He deepened my love for Jesus and expanded my knowledge of him. And that's my prayer for us. That as we spend the next kind of three months together, marveling at who Jesus is and what he's done in the book of John, that we would see Jesus in his technicolor detail. Now, the gospel of John, it's a little bit different from the other gospels. Uh, Matthew, Mark and Luke, they're very similar. And they're what we call uh, synoptic gospels. Uh, if you hear that, the, the synoptics, people might say, and their the Bible jargon language, what it just means is that they provide a synopsis or a summary of the life of Jesus. They're kind of an, an orderly account, Luke will say, to the most excellent Theophilus, of the things that happened around Jesus. Uh, they're written in basically the same chronological order and the same kind of language. Uh, sometimes the stories kind of match up exactly in terms of the chronology. Uh, other times the wording is almost exactly the same between them. 
And so theologians call Matthew, Mark, Luke, Matthew, Mark and Luke the synoptic gospels, the summary of what went on in the life of Jesus. But John, he's very different. <laughs> you've ever read any of John's writing, you get to 1 John, and he's this, talk about this, then talk about that, then come back to this, and it's kind of showing a picture. If he gets a revelation, you're like, well, I don't know what he was on, right? And there's kind of all sorts of stuff going on, and beasts, and visions, and John's different. But John was one of Jesus', Jesus closest friends. He knew Jesus intimately. He was with him in all of Jesus' ministry on earth, and he comes at putting together a gospel news, an account about Jesus, from a different perspective than the other three. His account is less of a summary about what happened and more of a director's cut. And more of, I'm going to show you this scene here and give you some commentary on what's happening and then show you this one over here that happened in a different chronological order, but I want to show you what they mean. I want to show you what Jesus means for the way that you live and what it means to follow him. And in chapter 20, verse 30, again on the screen, John tells us why he wrote. Very clear. It's helpful to know the purpose statement of John. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. I.e., other people have written about all the things that happened in a chronological order and pulled them together. But these, the ones I've collected for you, are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, God's promised King, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You can kind of hear John writing at the end of this letter, I want you to read this and have life. Life forever is possible if you capture this one, this one who has come, who is light and life. So come with me as John traces the account of Jesus. He, he starts not like the others at, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He starts further back than the virgin birth, even before that. He starts even before creation in this account. It's like out of this world. It's like, what? He comes back to the beginning. So let's start. It's kind of the first point, the beginning, if you want to write something down. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Just let that sit for a minute. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Before light existed, before the universe began, there was someone. And John calls him the Word. Now, I don't know if you've been thinking about baby names recently, but the Word is not, I don't know, it's not the name that first pops into my head to call someone. I don't think I want to call one of my sons the word, uh, maybe naughty or something like that. Sorry, Nathaniel. But uh, you want to think through why you're saying this. Why is he the word? But when you start to see how John describes this word and what he has done, it starts to make sense. John wants to show us three things about this word. That he was, that he created, and that he became flesh. That's where we're heading. So what is with this name, the word? Now, I, I love watching um, reality TV shows about singing and music, you know, like The Voice and X Factor, Australian Idol, American Idol, those kind of shows. There's something I love about those shows. Firstly, I love the awkwardness of people who think they can sing but can't. And they come out and they kind of do their, this thing because their mum's told them they're awesome and they get before a panel of judges and the judges just give them the truth. 
and the truth sometimes hurts and they cry and their world is shaken. And uh, there's something, I don't know, maybe it's bad, but I, I enjoy watching that. <laughs> and I'm like, that's a reminder, Rowan, don't go on these shows. Don't go on these shows. You're not that good. <laughs> but the second thing that I love is the thrill that the next contestant might be the next voice. They might be the one. They might come on. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Jordan Smith. If you're into YouTube surfing later on, check him out. 2015, The Voice America. Um, th- th- they start with this blind audition with all the judges facing the other way. And uh, he starts singing and he's phenomenal. And like all the judges just turn around and there's this guy who doesn't look like what you expect. In fact, one of the judges goes, I thought it was a woman, but it's a guy. And his voice has this amazing range. I've never heard of him before, but I'm like, this guy just makes me jealous. He's like, I did not hear one wrong note in the whole season of all his kind of stuff. I'm like, how do you do that? And that's the thrill of being like, maybe we'll find the next voice. Maybe this guy will be, will be awesome and they'll be the voice. But as John starts his letter introducing Jesus to the world, he's saying, don't worry about X Factor, Australian Idol, American Idol, the voice. This is the voice. This one here, Jesus, is the voice. He's not the next pop hit, but he's the voice behind every voice. He is the voice that spoke and you came into existence. He is the voice that sustains the universe. He is the voice that through whom everything that exists came into being. The voice that every person needs to hear. The voice of none other than God himself. And so he is called the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The one who defines everything. He gives it shape by speaking. This is what God's talking about. He was with God and he was God. And just like light is both particles and waves, so God is Father, Son and Spirit. You take any one of them on their own, it doesn't quite make sense, but together there is this triunity about God, that he can be Father, he can be Son and that he is Spirit. Three persons, one God. And what makes him so special is what he did. Point number two, the word created. The word created. Look at verse three. All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. It's a pretty expansive statement, isn't it? What John wants us to feel at this point is like a child who's been introduced for the first time to their estranged parents. Here is your creator. Here is your dad. Here is the one who spoke and made you, who who created the world. All things were created through him. Apart from him, not one thing that was created has been created. This is the author of life. There's a helpfulness here that sometimes people say Jesus isn't God. And lots of Christians go to John 1 to say, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Um, But then the pushback that you often get is, well, that was God, it doesn't have the the in front of it. It doesn't say, he was the God. He was a God. And so that's where Jehovah's Witnesses come along and say, oh, he was a God. And we often go to that that verse to say, no, Jesus is God, but we miss verse 3. And I want to spend a moment giving you a helpful tool as we think about this. I want you to walk away from today convinced that Jesus is God. So I want to show you some boxes. What is under this? I don't know. I want to show you a box. It's like the reveal. In this box are all created things. Not really, because you're not in it and you're created. 
But this is the box called All Created Things. Um, there's a slide on the screen that says everything that exists. Can you see that? There it is. Okay. Everything that exists is separated into two categories. All created things. And then over here, we've got another box. Do you know what's in this box? Things that were not created. Okay. Everything that exists in the world is divided in this passage into two categories. Things that were created and all things that were not created. So as you you come to this point... And you're to think through, where would I put God? Was God created or uncreated? Now, most people are pretty common. Where do you think we should go? Created? Right, this side. Okay, so God is here. He he was not created. He created all things. So we're happy that God goes in this box. Brilliant. And then let's just do some other quick tests on some things. All right, trees. Where do they go? This side. To the right, okay, trees. Animals, to the right. Okay, so animals were created. Uh, next thing, what is my say? Lights, right? Created over here. Let's keep going. Peaches. Like, why did you write peaches? I love peaches. <laughs> peaches were created. Okay, other things that I love. Lamb. <laughs> Lamb was created. Lamb did not, was not not created, right? <laughs> Lamb is created. Let's keep going. Earth created. The moon created. The sun created. Ice cream. I might have been hungry. Created. You and me. We were created. That's right. The Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Was He created or not created? Now, some will say, well, he's, he's, not, he's, he's not God, whoever this word is, uh, he, or maybe, but let's go to verse 3 and look at verse 3 really, really carefully. All things were created through him. Who's him? The word. So all things were created through him. So over here, the word created all of this, everything in there. So if we put the word in this box, he can't create himself. It's impossible, because you have to exist to be able to create, and so you can't, you can't do that. So the, the Word cannot be created. He, 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 some people say, well, He created everything except for Himself, because He was then created, so He created everything else. But look at the passage really carefully. What does it say? All things were created through Him, and look at this next bit. Apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. Okay, so if Jesus has been created... That means he can't be in that box. So did I say that right? If Jesus has been, if Jesus has been created, uh, then he couldn't have created all things because the one that he's talking about here, all things were created through him and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. So if Jesus was created, he had to create himself. So he can't go there. He must be here. There's, there's no way you can get about that any other way. And so that means, I brought up lots of pens, only one of them works, that all these things here, things, all these were created through, it doesn't work, okay, really obvious but helpful. And that's where we get to, all of this was created 
through him, which means he is over here in the uncreated part. Cannot be any other way. As people bring this up, take them to this. Jesus is uncreated. He is God. He was with God and all things have been created through him. He is your maker. Then John goes on, verse 4. Life was in him. And that life was the light of men. This word who is from the beginning is the author of life. Life is only found in him. There is no other source, no other cause, no other foundation of life other than him. It's amazing. Do you see who we're being introduced to? We might have heard this before, but John is saying, this is your creator. I'm introducing you to your God. He's not an optional extra of life. He's the cause of life. He's the sustainer of life and the reason for life. Have a look how life was made in Genesis 1. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. Darkness is defined as the absence of light. Without this word who called light, who is called light and who created light, without his word, we would all be in the dark. And John uses these concepts of light and dark, uh, not knowing things, dark, to knowledge of God, light, to say, Jesus helps us know everything. Without this one, darkness would be all there is. Without this word, without God, there is nothing. Now, just at that point, we, we could stop right here and right now. We could stop this sermon and kind of go, wow, like, it's just amazing enough on its own. But, but John, Jesus, one of Jesus' best friends, he's got, okay, you got this picture of who this, this, this word is? He's made everything. He is God. He is before all things. He is over all things. But then he says, do you know what? That word, he became flesh. It's the next point. The word became flesh. Look at verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Unlike Hinduism and Buddhism, Islam and atheism, Christianity is not an ism. It's not a philosophy or some sort of moral compass. It's grounded in history, in what actually happened. God stepped foot on earth. The word became flesh. He took on human form. He became human. God the Son became Jesus. He stepped onto the world stage. It's not just some philosophy that we like to think about, a way of living or a moral way of life. Do you understand that? He's real. He stepped into his creation. Let me give you a quick quote uh, from Josephus, who was writing around about a, a, a second century AD about the things of Jesus. This is what he says. At this time, there was a wise man who was called Jesus. His conduct was good and he was known to be virtuous. Many people from among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die. And those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he, was, that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets have recounted wonders. Now, Josephus comes from a Jewish background and he's saying this is, this is perhaps the Messiah. That's what people spoke of. He's recording history 
And Jesus plays a part. We see that Jesus stepped into history from the Gospel of John, from other sources outside of Christianity. The whole reason that we celebrate Christmas, that we make such a big deal about that time of year, is because God became flesh. He stepped into our world. Our maker became man. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now that word there is, is dwelt is actually the word tabernacled. I don't know if you use that. You could use that when you go camping. I'm going tabernacling. And this kind of means camping. It's pitching a tent. It's setting up a tent. And it's a bit of an odd word here. The word became flesh and went camping amongst us. Right? You're like, well, what is that saying? Well, it doesn't say much to those that don't camp very often. But if you were a Jew, you'd be setting up a tent all the time in the Old Testament because the tabernacle, the tent, was where God dwelt. And as the Jews walked around, and they had this tent where God dwelt, the symbolic place of God's dwelling until the temple was built by Solomon. And so the tabernacle was a picture of God dwelling with us. So John says, the word became flesh and tabernacled here. God dwelt with us. This is God come to earth. John is extraordinarily clear. This is not just someone else or a God. Jesus is the maker and he's come to earth to meet with people. The tent was where people went, this tabernacle, to, to, to come to God. The place where God dwelt with his people. But John wants us to see, God isn't just popping in for a visit. A quick kind of pop in and out for time. Hey guys, just checking you're okay, see you later. None of that. That he's, that he's come to become flesh. To be human. God the Son became flesh and will remain flesh forever. This is huge. This is massive. The creator and sustainer of all things has become part of his creation. While not losing his divinity, he has become flesh. Imagine for a minute seeing God. You know, Moses, he, he, can't, he can't see God. He's like, no, I can't. I can't. I've got to, be, got to be hidden. God's glory passes by him and his face radiates for days. And people, they put a flap over his face like a veil so that they're like, whoa, it's so bright. And cover that up, Moses. God's glory is shining from you because God just passed behind. John is saying, if you saw Jesus, if you saw this word, you saw God. God became flesh and dwelled among us. There is a man, his name is Jesus, and he is God. This is the day that God came to town. Why are there so many Christmas carols? It's because people throughout the ages have been so captivated with the idea that God will become flesh and dwell among us that they just ring out in song. Is that what makes you ring out in song? That your maker became flesh, that he came on earth and that he spoke? What is the significance of God coming to earth? Why does that make us ring out in joy? Well, look at verse 12. This is why he came. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name. Jesus came so that you and I might believe in him. Now, belief, it's such a loaded term. You know, we're told to believe in yourself. You just got to have faith. Faith, faith, right? There's all these songs that are about faith and belief. It's the same word. It just means to trust, to rely, and to depend. John is saying that those who trust that Jesus is God, those who recognize that the Word became flesh, 
will trust that he is the only way to have life. They'll listen to what he has to say. They will make him the center of their lives to be captured by who he is and what he's done. We'll see throughout the rest of the book of John, and this is a spoiler alert, (laughs) that Jesus will show that we are all in darkness. None of us have treated God as we ought, as he deserves to be treated. We've ignored him, we've disregarded him, sometimes we've actively rejected him. But here's the thing, if you, if you disregard and ignore and reject the one who gives life, you're rejecting life itself. But that is what all of us have done. We have turned our backs on God, we are all in the darkness, and the darkness is the very opposite of life, it is death. But Jesus, as he comes, he lives as the perfect man. When he dies, he dies in our place, not because we deserved it, but not because of anything we had done, but because he loved us. God has not forced us to love him. He's given us the option. He'll say in John 5 on the screen, I assure you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. That is amazing. John 8. Then Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. The word became flesh and took up residence amongst us. So he could die in our place. So that we could respond to him. So that we could trust him. Even though he made the world and sustains the world, the world doesn't recognize him. Can you imagine the humiliation of that? Can you imagine the humiliation that as he allows people to hammer his arms to a Roman cross, as he's sustaining the heartbeat of the Roman soldier who's hammering the nail through his hand, that he says, not my will but yours. He says, I have come for you. I have come to die in the place of humanity. The reality is he was in the world, verse 10. And the world was created through him. And yet the world did not recognize him. We are so hell-bent on living our own lives that we miss or diminish or push to the side the reality that God became flesh, that our maker became man. We fail to let that have a place of significance in our life. We fail to trust his word. We fail to listen to him, to open up the scriptures, to see what is on offer to us. But hear this promise as John starts out what is an overture to the rest of the book of John. Verse 12, to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name. I don't know if adoption is something that has been big on your radar. For me, my mum was adopted. Uh, I don't know what the reasons behind that were. I don't know who my biological grandparents are on that side. But adoption is such a good thing. If my mum was not adopted, I would not be here. She was brought into a family and a family treated her as their own. She grew up with that family, calling them mum and dad, and that was the reality for her. And so now uh, life and lives happen because that family adopted my mum and did not leave her to die or do any other sort of thing, but took her on. And so I exist. I am so thankful for adoption. 
I'm so thankful for the love that my grandparents showed my mum. John says that we who were created by God, by the word and rejected him because he became flesh can again call God our father. We can be called children of God. Those who've turned our backs of God, those who've wanted nothing to do with the light who made us, those who've just pushed him aside and live life for the here and now, there is a way to be called God's child, to call him our dad, to look forward to life forever with the creator of the universe, the word who became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And to all who receive him, He gave them the right to be children of God to those who trust him. One of Jesus' best friends, John, one who knew him up close and personal, one who saw his whole life and lived alongside him, is writing to show us today and in this whole series how amazing Jesus is. The greatest tragedy that anyone could ever experience on earth is to see the reality of Jesus, God become flesh, and think there's something else, something better, something more captivating, or that it just isn't true. To think you have a better view of life and a better way to live life than listening to the author of life is a tragedy. I want to take you one more place before we finish this morning. I want to take you back uh, to high school. Imagine you're in high school, uh, sitting in an English class. And for many of you, that might bring great memories. For others, you're shuddering. English. But you see an English class, and there are a bunch of people sitting around a table, uh, commenting on the meaning of a poem that you've just read. You remember that? Do you remember doing that? Some of you are not there yet. You'll get there. And the teacher turns to people in the class and says something like, okay, so what does this poem mean to you? And different people kind of pull out different parts of what the poem is saying, and we discuss it. And one of the things I noticed in in high school English is that no matter how weird or wild your opinion is, as long as it's cognate, as long as you can show that possibly you could have that from what they're saying, the teacher would say, thank you for sharing your opinion, Rowan. (laughs) And you can get away with it, right? You could say whatever you thought, because everyone's opinion is of equal authority. So I want you to imagine you're sitting there with a group of people in your year around the table discussing this poem. Everyone's put forward their opinion. The teacher said, all right, this is what I think it's kind of talking about. And we all put our opinions forward. And at that moment, there's this knock at the door. The door opens. And it's kind of the light comes in because English rooms often kind of dark. I don't know. It's in my head. Something. And you're like, there's this light come in from the door. And you're like, this person walks in. And then you kind of look at your eyes and you're like, hang on a minute. And they've got a name tag on, on their top. And it's the same name that's at the bottom of the poem. I don't know why they're wearing a name tag, but they are. And you're like, hang on a minute. This is the person that wrote this poem. This is the author that has walked into the room. Do you know what would happen at that point? No matter what people had said they thought that poem was about, no matter what they thought it meant for them, the author can say, I'll tell you what this poem means. And everyone listens. Because it's the author. They wrote the poem. You can't say, no, you didn't mean that. What you actually meant was this, or what it really means to me is that. No, the author says, this is what I said, because they are the authority on their work. That's where the word authority comes from, from the author. The author is the one who speaks with authority. And when the author speaks, no one has the opportunity to say, you can't mean that. 
what John says at the start of John's gospel is the word became flesh. The author of life stepped into the world and said, if you want to have life, trust in me. I made you. I sustain you. I'm going to die for you. Put your life in my hands and treat me as who I am, the one who made you, and follow me. When it comes to life, so often we are like school kids sitting around a table, commenting on someone else's work. This is what life's about. This is what we should be doing. What John is telling us is that the day that Jesus was born was the day that God walked into the room and said with authority, this is life. Light and life. I have spoken. I am the word. Trust me. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful this day that Jesus spoke. That God the Son became Jesus the Messiah. That you came into our world and spoke the truth and allowed us to trust in your Son. So we pray that as we go through this book, as we think about life, as we are captured by so many different things and ideas, that you would so focus us on Jesus, the author of life, the sustainer of life, that we live for him. Today, Lord, let us treat Jesus as our King and serve him with our all, trusting him that we might be called your children and look forward to an eternity with you. We pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen.